You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and joining us is our very special guest, Maria Vermasis. Maria, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, very excited to have you join us today. So we're departing from our usual format just a bit. Usually Joe and I each share a story and then we have a guest. But instead, Maria will join us with a story in lieu of a guest. Although I guess it's fair to say Maria is our very special guest. Yes, I'm checking an item off my bucket list today. Do a podcast with Maria Vermas. That's Check. right. So I, I suspect that many of our listeners know Maria from her many appearances on the Smashing Security podcast. But then also, uh, more important than that, she is the host of T-Minus, which is our daily space program here on the N2K network. So, Maria, glad to have you here. Uh, We will be right back with our stories after this message from our sponsor. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us. And in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, we are back. And uh, Joe, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and kick things off for us with our stories here. What do you have for us? So this week, my story is about a man by the name of Andy Cohen who mm. is apparently some kind of newscaster. Yes. I don't know who he is. I don't don't watch whatever network he's on, but he was on the Today Show. Uh, I think it was this morning as we're recording this. Oh, all right. Um, but yeah, he's quite famous in, in certain he, circles. Okay. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not in the Joe okay. Kerrigan circles. Reality he's TV circles, he's, he's very well known. Oh, yeah. that's uh, why I don't mm-hmm. know who he is. Yes. I <laughs> abhor <laughs> reality television. Can't stand it. Um, anyway... Uh, this is one of those shows that's like a fishbowl. For some reason, they think it's a good idea to put the the filming studio on the first floor and always in the background, there's always someone looking in like, hey, what's going on in there? Right. And <laughs> I don't know. It, I, I, I find that humorous. Anyway, Andy Cohen was on the, uh, the Today Show and he's talking about an attack that he recently experienced that began with him losing his bank card, hmm. presumably a debit card, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and he calls his bank and reports that, that it's been lost. Uh, we'll put a link to the entire interview in the show notes because it's it's really interesting to see what happens here. Okay. Uh, the next day, he got an email from somebody that says, uh, 
that's actually a phishing email from his bank or impersonating his bank. And he goes to the phishing site and enters his bank credentials. And then they say, well, what's your Apple ID? Hmm. And he's like, well, this is a scam, right? Yeah. Good so instinct. He, yep. Right. So he, he terminates that interaction there. Now, I don't know if at this point in time he changed his password, which is the very first thing I would have done if I realized I'd entered my password on a uh, phishing site mm-hmm. for my bank. However, Andy is not a cybersecurity professional. He does not live and breathe this stuff, mm. right? He, he, it is perfectly reasonable for him to say, oh, this is a scam and just terminate the interaction and go, whew, they almost got me. Uh, not realizing that what's happened is they've already got him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. yep. so I have I have empathy here for Andy. I I totally get why the next thing happened because the next day he gets a text message with somebody spoofing his bank again, saying, "Are you trying to make this transaction on your bank card?" And he responds to the text message, "No." And as soon as he responds, "No" to the text message, he gets a phone call. And the phone comes up and they're spoofing. This is another scam. This, uh, this is a scammer. And they're spoofing his bank's caller ID. So it mm. looks like his bank is calling. Hmm. And the person to uh, person who's on the other end says, I'm from your bank's fraud department, and starts asking him about a transaction that he is, that this fraudulent transaction, which probably doesn't exist, but then says, well, let's look at some other transactions we have here and starts reading off transactions that are actually his, legitimate transactions. Hmm. Probably oh. because hmm. they have access to his bank account from the phishing attack. Oh, yeah. Successful yep. phishing attack. Yep. Right? So they, once he gave them the username and password and he didn't have multi-factor authentication enabled, uh, they were able to log in and they were able to convince him that they had knowledge of his bank account and convince him that they were from his bank's fraud department and they weren't. Andy says that this person then said, I'm going to send you some codes uh, via, via text message. Read those numbers back to me for security purposes. These are codes that his bank was sending to him to authorize um, wire transfers. Hmm. So essentially, he's getting the code sent to him the scammer is authorizing a wire transfer from the web interface of the bank. Andy's reading the code. The scammer is entering the code and transferring the money. Hmm. Yeah. Oof. Right. Now, at one point in time, the uh, the scammer said, okay, now I need you to enter these numbers into your phone. And essentially what the scammer was having him do was enable call forwarding on his, on his phone. Really? So, yes. Oh, my gosh. You so can do that elaborate. while you're... In the it, midst of it, a phone call? I was listening to this scam, and I was horrified to hear <laughs> hear what was going on here. Yeah, huh. my um, God. it's You're right, Maria. This is incredibly elaborate. And and Andy, at one point in time in this interview, he looks at the camera and he goes, he says to the scammer, he says, I hate you. <laughs> but you are, remarkably, you are remarkably good at what you do. Yeah, so, huh. yeah. I, I mean, he's a very high-profile person, so it doesn't surprise right. me that that he would get hit with something this elaborate. But man, it's elaborate. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Uh, so now, when the bank starts calling to verify that these wire transfers are legitimate, they get forwarded to the scammers, and they go, "Oh yeah, that's us. That's me. Okay. I'm Andy, and uh, and uh, I'm I'm I authorized that transaction." At one point in time, he said when he was on the phone with this the scammer, pretending to be from his bank's fraud department. 
that he said, uh, yeah, yesterday I went to a, a, a website and they they not only asked for my credentials, but they also asked for my Apple ID. And this person said, oh, no, we would never ask for your Apple ID. That's <laughs> obviously a scam. Sure. Right? <laughs> Just to build and, trust with him, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's We're what it does. We're the good guys, actually. <laughs> right. We're the good guys. Very convincing, right? So, uh, you know, I thought this was a, a fantastic story in terms of... Uh, in terms of what happened here, in ter- fantastic and like the level of fraud and deceit that went on here, huge. And I have a few things I want to say about this. Number one, Andy Cohen did the absolute right thing coming forward and making this public, going on the Today Show and talking yep. about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yes. Because Andy Cohen isn't the only person this happens to. Yep. And it this did not happen to Andy because he's he's a dummy. This happened to Andy because he was uh, the the string of transactions or the string of events lined up in his head and everything made sense to him. And he thought he was doing the right thing. And he got he got scammed by uh, by a truly evil person. Yeah. Let's not let's not skip that part. <laughs> this person, while yes, Andy demonstrates his his respect for them, these people are bad guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Um now my question for number two is, uh, oh, anyway, I want to emphasize that. Andy, thank you for coming forward and talking about this. 100%. Yes. Everyone I mean, the, has- the, to- the Today Show audience is probably almost as large as ours. <laughs> you would think. Yeah. I mean, maybe, think, maybe. I mean, we're going to drive some traffic to their site and give them a bump. Sure, thing. sure. That <laughs> he has a huge platform bump. of his own, too. Just personally, he's very, very big. So, right. Uh, yeah. He's going to be reaching a lot of people who might not normally be thinking about this stuff. So, mm-hmm. which is doing- awesome that he's yeah. using that platform for this, even in something that we, I, I guarantee you, Andy's embarrassed by this. He says as much. Um, and, but I would say, don't feel embarrassed. You got victimized by, uh, by somebody. I mean, if you're, if you're walking down the street and someone, someone beats you up and takes your wallet, you don't feel embarrassed about that, right? Mm-hmm. This is the cyber version of that. Yes. Right. It's, it's not, you know, you didn't fall for this because you're stupid. You fell for this because you're a human. And they hit all the right buttons for you. Mm. It, it just lined up. Now, I do think there's an interesting coincidence here that leads me, again, down my tinfoil hat path here, Dave. Yeah. Uh, like last week. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's interesting that this happens right after he loses his card and calls his bank and tells him that he's lost his card. Right. Now, Andy says this is 100% pure coincidence. Um <laughs> If if I were a bank that if I were the bank here, I'd be like, why don't we get some security analysts in here to take a look at our systems? Mm, uh, yeah. Get some data loss prevention systems enacted and see what's going on. See if anybody is telling somebody about this or selling this information on the inside. Or if we have somebody who's just watching our traffic and finds this stuff out. I'm not a hundred percent convinced this was uh this was coincidence. I mean, it there's a good probability it was, but I'm not convinced. I had a situation once where I um, called my bank about some sort of credit card issue and I was calling the number on the back of the credit card, Mm -hmm. right? And I must have misdialed, you know, just fat-fingered it or something. But what answered was something that at first sounded like a legit call center for a credit card. Right. But there was something about it that was just off enough, like... you know, it was a little too nonspecific, like it was there to catch all of everything. 
And I hung mm. up and called back and got the actual bank. Right. And I, and I was like, oh, man. Yeah. You have reached this bank. One. Right. 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 <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I wonder if there's a possibility of that. When he called and reported it lost, could he have misdialed and got, reached someone? But, but I think it's probably more likely, Joe, that what you're talking about, that either someone on the inside is making a couple of bucks mm-hmm. or, um, you know, there's some kind of uh, uh, scraping thing on one of the bank's internal computers or something right. like that, you know, yeah. looking for yeah. these things. My what money think, would Maria? be on insider threat, honestly. It, to me, this this seems way, like way more than a coincidence. And I would bet that he has to say that because the lawsuit may, may be right. going the bank's way. <laughs> but we uh, here fear no lawsuits. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Andy Cohen, I know I know you don't know who he is, but he is a he is a really legitimately big name. So uh, I, I have no doubt that if somebody on the inside saw that name come across, uh, the, the dollar signs were going through their head. Right. Oh, yeah. I see. So I imagine uh, if he was working something out with the bank, he was going, I'm going to see you guys. I don't know. That's just that's just conjecture. But still, it, to me, yeah. insider threat seems very, very, very likely. Yeah. yeah. So how do you protect yourself on this? Never trust inbound calls. Never, never, never trust an inbound call. Someone calls you from your bank's fraud department. You say, uh, I will call you right back and ask for your fraud department. What's your name? And then get redirected that way. Yeah, um, but don't call the number that that yeah, person gives you. Yeah, don't call the number they give you. Call the bank number. Call the known good bank number, the number on the back of the card. Right. Or uh, in the event that you haven't lost it. Uh, <laughs> or, the, uh, or the number that's on the website. At, yep. um, and do not, do not Google it. I know. I'm just going to say that. They, oh. they got me again this past week, Dave. I was, oh. I, it was, I was looking for... Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was Comcast. No, it wasn't Comcast. It was somebody's customer service number. Yeah. And I hit the first number that came up and somebody answered and went, customer service. And I'm like, uh, you got me. No, no. <laughs> and he goes, he knows he knows what it's up. And he's like, yeah, I got you. Right. <laughs> that was it. I just hung up. Now I redialed. That's not a big deal when that happens. Just know that that's what happens. Yeah. yeah customer service for who? And they're like, well, who do you right. want it to be for? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Mm. Uh, uh, all right. Well, very interesting. And we will have a link to that story in the show notes. Uh, Maria, what do you have for us this week? Well, it is hard to find good help these days, they say. And uh, companies that are reeling from a ransomware attack, they have unfortunately really good reason to be very, very cautious about uh, altruistic offers for help. There was a, <laughs> yeah, there was a research story out from Arctic Wolf Labs about something that I wasn't super aware of called a follow-on extortion campaign. Uh, and this was something that they had seen in October and November of this year, but they just published the research. And yeah. uh, victims of the Royal and Akira ransomwares uh, received emails from re- security researchers saying, basically, we're here to help. And I don't know about you, but if I was reeling from a ransomware attack, uh, I, an offer to help would sound like such a port in a storm. Right, <laughs> right. Even, yeah. Uh, so they, there were two names that were being used by these security researchers that were offering help. One was called Ethical Side Group, or ESG. Uh, and the other one was Ex-Anonymous. I don't, I don't even know. It's not Ex-Anonymous X. It's just S. Anyway, Ex-Anonymous. Yeah, it's kind um, of like the word anonymous with an X on either end of it, kind of. Yeah, kind <laughs> no of. S. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks hackery to, yeah, <laughs> to the does. person. It does yeah. look quite hackery. Uh, so both... The these sets of victims received sort of similar-ish communications and claims from these supposed security researchers. Uh, and those claims um, include basically either offers of 
um, having the exfiltrated data in hand, so obtaining what the victim had already lost, or obtaining the, the data that was lost in order to delete it. So basically, you weren't able to get this data because the ransomware either took it away from you or it deleted it, and we're going to get it back for you. So again, mm. a very, very appealing offer. Mm-hmm. But the, the victims in this case, the red flag started to go up because in, in this, the cases where the security researcher offered to obtain the data, that victim had been told by the ransomware that their data had been just deleted locally. So that data didn't go anywhere. So there was nothing that was exfiltrated. Or in the case of server access offer from the security researcher, the ransomware had said also that the data was only encrypted. So some of these claims didn't quite make any sense. So the victims in this case that were being reached out to from these security researchers went, something's not quite right here. Yeah, this isn't adding up. Yeah, it's not adding up. So uh, in other cases, again, these claims are all a little bit related. Sometimes they've got a bit of a different flavor, but sometimes the researcher would offer not only to delete the data, but also give access to the ransomware server. So I'm not sure what the plan would be there, aside from just to sort of muck around, but uh, it sort of sounds maybe you could get revenge. I don't know what the the goal would be there, but it's an offer. Yes, now I can wreak my vengeance. (laughs) Right. It sort of sounds tempting. And again, we were talking about social proof. uh, And in this case... Uh, the the email from the researchers actually came with proof of access to the exfiltrated data. So they mm. would include little bits to show that they actually did have access to the data that they were claiming that they had. Interesting. Yeah, very specific stuff, not just like, oh, here's a zip file with your company's right. name on it, but actually right. proof of something. So there was a lot behind it that gave it heft. And uh, the, I guess the cherry on top of all of this is that the price was a low, low five Bitcoin just to do all this for the company that had been victimized. Oh, so that's a, five Bitcoin. I mean, how, how much could that possibly be? <laughs> it depends on the day, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so as of today, which may be very different when someone's listening to this, five Bitcoin <laughs> has about a 50K value, um, oh. which, you know, it's n- not cheap, but it's mm-hmm. compared to, I was curious, what were the victims of the Royal and Rans- um, the Royal and Akira ransomware being asked? And Akira specifically the ransom was usually 200K to 5 million. So wow. compare that to 50K, it seems like just, oh yeah, it's practically free. So <laughs> um, mm. yeah, so what, what seems really dastardly about this to me is especially a lot of the ransomware victims of Akira, especially, these are really small companies, about 50 to 100 employees. And I don't know about you, but in companies that small, often they're not necessarily familiar with what a security researcher might actually do. Right. So this might smell legitimate to somebody. They may not actually mm-hmm. realize that this is a very blatant extortion campaign. Yeah, um, this, this seems a lot to me like the follow-on scams that, that people hit, that, you know, they pile on after they've got a victim, uh, like an individual victim, not a corporate victim. But we've seen this where people have lost money in investment scams and then somebody else contacts them and goes, I can get you your money back, but I need 10 grand up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then... You know, they just take the money and run. It, it seems like it's an advancement and a um, and an increase in in that. Do we know, Maria, if the the organizations that were approached by these folks had paid the ransom or not? I don't know about that. That was I was curious about that as well. I'm hoping when they saw the five Bitcoin, they maybe maybe stopped and said, "Okay, we think this is extortion." Um, right. right. Yeah. So I don't know. That, I, that is the question. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to to understand is, um, did they pay the original ransom to um, 
who was it? Uh, Royal and Akira ransomware groups. And then this was trying to get more from them. Or did they not pay Royal and Akira? And was this the bad guys trying to take another swing at them with a lower, yes. uh, a lower amount of money? I think it's the second. Um, and to me, I was okay. thinking of it as sort of a, a terrible upsell. <laughs> like uh-huh. You didn't, you didn't right. want to do the original one. Maybe you were a tiny little business and, you know, $5 million is way, way out of your budget, but maybe 50K is something you could manage. Uh, you know, so they're, they're bargaining it down for you. You're still not going to get your data back. <laughs> it's right. not going to happen, but, you know, 50K. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Sell you a little yeah. bit of hope. Yeah, it's right. terrible either way. <laughs> it is. So the recommendation here is, uh, I guess... Don't pay the ransom. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pay the ransom. And I think it, it, it if possible, uh, it behooves people to to familiarize themselves. Although this is a lot to ask of people. A legitimate security researcher would not ask of something like this. That's not how a security researcher of repute works. Uh, right. So uh, <laughs> they generally don't want to be paid in Bitcoin either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know who knows, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that's that's just not how they operate. So I'll I take guess any maybe Bitcoin anyone wants to send me. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, like if somebody wanted to give me some, I wouldn't say no. But uh, right, yeah, yeah. I, maybe security researchers need a PR campaign of their own. That's not how we operate. That's not legit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Interesting. Well, we will have a link to that story in the show notes. Uh, My story this week uh, comes from the folks over at the Hacker News, uh, and this is about uh, some goings-on over on YouTube. Uh, I guess before we dig in here, I'm going to ask each of you uh, both, and uh, I guess, Joe, I'll start with you. Okay. Uh, To what degree do you have any experience throughout your long storied career and life being a a person who's used computers for a long time with cracked software? (laughs) I have... um... I have avoided the use of crack software, Dave. Mm-hmm. I have uh, not, not. I don't think I've ever like. I've played the demo version of games, you know, the the freely available ones, but never, never got a cracked version. Okay, really? Um, yeah. Now, now I will say, once there may have been one product that wasn't a game that I used uh-huh. that uh, was not cracked, but was available, made okay. available to me. Okay. But obtained through other means. Obtained through other means, correct. <laughs> but it, when I got it, it was rather outdated. Okay. Uh, but huh. it was still very powerful. Yeah. How about you, Maria? I don't think I could be any more different, Joe. Um, I think there was a good <laughs> part of my life where absolutely none of the software I was using was legitimate. <laughs> All of it was cracked. Uh, I mean, uh, that computer I had was completely radioactive in terms of how <laughs> it was. Um, All the malware but, uh, on Oh, my gosh. But uh, I, And I knew that. I just kind of assumed. But I, I, I would like to say it was just because I was a poor student. Um, <laughs> let's mm-hmm. just go with that being the reason. Uh, but yeah, I have used a lot of cracked software in my day. <laughs> I'm very familiar yeah. with like the bit tune, the bit chip, what are they called? The chip tune music that a lot of them play when you're installing them. And anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have some favorites. Back in the day on the Mac, there was uh, an app, basically a little database that was called Cracks and Numbers. And it was, that's exactly what it was. It was full of, basically it was a serial number database. Um, Good old for, days. And so you would just look up, you know, oh, I want to run Adobe Photoshop. And you'd look in Cracks and Numbers and it would have what version are you running? And here's a username and password. And, um, you know, back then, uh, for a lot of this stuff, that's all it took to run a bit of software. Yeah, because license key just followed an algorithm. 
Yeah, yeah, key generator. Yeah, you know, uh, key generators. All right, right now that, right. that I have used, and, and now that we're talking about this, yes, there's another one I've used. That, okay. <laughs> so now these things are starting Keeper to come back Joe. to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, um, you know, I think it's also fair to say that back in the 90s, the threat of getting malware through a, cack, through a cracked piece of software was much lower than it is today. Right. I true, would say these true. days, it's pretty much 100%. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, I, I mean, I'm thinking all the way back to the Apple II days back in the 80s. I remember, you know, there was always that guy who you, you wanted to play a copy of uh, I don't know, you know, Wolfenstein, the original Castle <laughs> Wolfenstein or something that was... Um, and there was always a guy who could figure out how to circumvent the copy protection that was on, you know, yes. the old Apple yeah. II floppy yep. disk. So yep. every, everybody knew a guy, and that was a pretty common thing. I, You know, back in my professional career, I remember there was a developer, his name was Kai Krauss, and he developed a lot of um, very interesting graphics software that made really interesting things. Um, and his philosophy was, he said, I understand that not everybody can afford to pay for everything. So, you know, if you copy a piece of my software to try it out, I don't have a problem with that. But if you use it professionally, please pay for it. Yeah. And I thought that was a pretty fair, uh, you know, compromise right. uh, back in the day that, you know, if you want to try something out, fine. But if you're going to use it professionally, you got to pay for it. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> All yep. that is to say that this article <laughs> from the Hacker News is about uh, YouTube videos that are promoting cracked software. So, you know, YouTube is, I believe, still the second most popular search engine out there, uh, technically. Hmm. Uh, beyond, besides Google, more searches happen on YouTube than anywhere else. And I've certainly noticed that, um, I'd say in the past decade or so, uh, YouTube became a popular place for folks to post things like cracks and serial numbers and, and things like that. You know, if you go on YouTube and search, just say, you know, Adobe Photoshop, crack, you'll get a lot of hits. Hmm. Um, and most of them lead to uh, URLs that are up to no good. Um, and in this case, this particular story is talking about the, how it's being used to distribute the Luma Steeler malware, um, which is, does exactly what it says it'll do. It, once that gets installed on your, uh, on your computer, it looks to steal information. It's looking specifically for passwords and uh, cryptocurrency accounts and, you know, basically anything that it can turn around and either use or sell for a buck. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And these are, these uh, videos on YouTube are going after kind of the usual suspects. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of what you were saying, Maria. It's the student who's looking to use a high-end piece of software, can't afford to do so. So a lot of this goes after things like high-end video production tools. They talk about Vegas Pro, which is a video editing software. The, the yeah. Adobe suite is always, always. a popular tar target <laughs> right. because everybody always. wants... That yeah. may or may not have been one of the cracked software suites that I had. <laughs> <laughs> right, may or may not. Right. Uh, you know, Microsoft Office is a big one. Just basically any of these that cost a pretty penny and uh, they go after students and a lot of small businesses will use this sort of software as well. Another thing that's um, pretty rampant uh, is a small business will buy one copy of a piece of software and then install it on everybody's machine. You know, so right. Buy, yes, you indeed. Know, and, of course, yep. the providers have, cut, have made that harder to do with everything being online. And so folks go looking for these sorts of cracks 
and uh, it leads to having these these stealers on your machine. This article points out that you can have things like uh, crypto miners will be installed. Just all sorts of bad oh. things can happen. So, crypto miner would be the least of your concerns. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's almost quaint. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, I remember years ago, and I want to say this was probably 2017 or so, there really was a line of thinking that um, ransomware was going to die out and crypto mining was going to be the thing because crypto mining is kind of, and I'm going to use air quotes here, a victimless crime in that, you know, if you're mining on somebody's computer while they're asleep, yes, technically you're stealing electricity from them, but they're probably not going to notice, right? right. <laughs> uh, so so there's, there's not a huge incentive for them to come after you. Uh, whereas with ransomware, and this was back in the days of what I call nuisance ransomware, where people were looking for $50 or $25 from consumers, they thought that was going to die down. Um, and look where we are. Just the opposite has happened where yeah, yep. the ransomware operators you know, hit the big time and it's worse than ever. So... Uh, so we will have a link to this story uh, in the show notes. Of course, the bottom line here is uh, uh, don't use, well, don't use cracked software. But if you must use cracked software, <laughs> don't, don't go to YouTube to look for your cracked software. Right. I would, uh, you, anybody know if the Pirate Bay is still around? Uh, it's that was it's the, still around. It's around. It's yeah. it's there. <laughs> or so we've heard. So we've I mean, heard, yeah. <laughs> I haven't been recently, but... <laughs> I'm a security researcher. I have to know these things. Uh, I see, of course, <laughs> oh, of course. It's legit. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. As my friends over on uh, Grumpy Old Geeks say when, when they need something, we're going to go to Sweden and get it. We're going to go over to Sweden and <laughs> right. find a copy of that Yo movie. Yo-ho-ho. Ho. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but buyer beware. All right, we will have links to all of these stories in the show notes. We will be right back with our catch of the day after this short message. Back to the concept of integrations. Nobefore's Security Coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs, with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. Joe and Maria, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. (laughs) 
Dave, our catch of the day comes from the facepalm community on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard this one before. Okay. Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time on Reddit either. I don't really? know who uh, Andy Cohen is, and I don't spend time on... <laughs> don't get out much, do I don't you, get out much. You just... You're uh, not on, on Reddit, the internet much. Really? Okay. I, I'm on Reddit. I have a Reddit account. I just don't spend a lot of time there. You spend time in your backyard bunker... Uh, right now, I spend no time in my backyard raking leaves. <laughs> Still raking leaves. It's January. Uh-huh. Plenty of leaves to rake. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, this uh, is a screen capture. Uh, and uh, it, it, the very top of the screen is uh, the logo of the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Below so that is a button that says <laughs> pay with Bitcoin. Right. And then there are two pictures of the American flag. Uh one rectangular picture of the American flag and one cropped down to a circle. Yep. Um, that's that's the social media American flag. Yeah. Right. And then that's that's the American flag on LinkedIn. Right. And then for some for some reason, midway down, there's a picture of a Bengal tiger uh, that is cropped to be a close-up of its face, and it is growling at you. And I guess this is to put We're the serious. fear into you. Yeah. It's to trigger. Some kind of a fight or flight mechanism because now, you, this pops up on your phone, and rah. not only are you scared because it's the FBI, but they're going to unleash a Bengal tiger on you if you don't <laughs> do what is said here. So did it so, play the sound when you open it? Like, oh, I can only hope. I can only. Oh, what's this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the FBI. Where's, where, where's, where's my Bitcoin? Uh, Uh, Okay, I'm going to read the text here. It says, Your phone is locked because of violation of the American government. Your heinous crimes will be met with serious fury and punishment for the crimes of communication with enemy state like North Korea, Syria, Iran, Iraq, for punishment, 10-year forced labor, 25-year prison. (laughs) Rawr! (laughs) There's the tiger. (laughs) If you want to avoid these undesire, you must pay 500 USA currency in Bitcoin and we say nothing. We are police. We can do serious things. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) (laughs) And violation is spelled violatuion. Right. Yeah. It's terrible. Iraq, I don't know that Iraq is actually classified as an enemy state. Is it? (laughs) I mean, that's that's the point that we're arguing in this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I go for this. I go for the little yeah. things that should be a tip off. All the tip offs. I don't think uh, Bengal tigers are native to any of those countries, actually. So. No, <laughs> nor are they native to the United States. Right. What I would think, if I was going to put an animal in there, I would have put an eagle in there, right? Yeah. You know, the, the angry, you know, the disapproving eagle. You know the the you know the eagle with looking straight at you with his eyes you know slanted downward like an angry face. Right, 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 <laughs> right. The eagle of shame. The eagle of shame. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the same eagle that they send out. The IRS sends out in their letters when they tell you that you <laughs> you underpaid this year. This yes. disapproving eagle who. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, uh, this is a good one. It's um, awesome. Yeah, I love it. I guess you know. People pay. Uh, they had me up at the Bengal tiger. That just really is the cherry on top of of this. So uh, there's a big a big button up to the top. That says pay with Bitcoin, and the federal government will tell you over and over and over again they don't accept payment via Bitcoin or gift card not. or anything other than a check. Write them a check. That's what they want. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, this is a great catch of the day. And of course, we would love to get your catch of the days. Once again, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. A quick note that N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Maria, before we go, what do people need to know about T-minus and where can they find it? You can find T-minus Space Daily on all major podcast platforms and at space.n2k.com. We are the only daily space... I'm doing a bad job promoting my own show. We are the <laughs> only daily space podcast for space professionals. It's all right. Do check it out. <laughs> our executive producer is Jennifer Iben. The show is edited by Trey Hester. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. Oh, and I'm Maria Vermozis. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hey, all. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.